I, I want to I take you to what I think is perhaps the, one of the most important places we'll ever look at in the Word of God. Would you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2? We've been studying through this great book, and what we have seen is a concern upon Paul's heart for the church at Ephesus. What we have noted up to this point is there is a problem in this church. As a matter of fact, as you noted in chapter 1, I think it's verses 2 or 3, I can't remember it right off. But, but Paul urges Timothy to stay in, Mas- in, to stay in Ephesus when he goes off to Macedonia. He asks him to stay there so as to solve the problem because there are those that are teaching false doctrines and there are those within the family of God who are causing disruption within the church. And so, Paul, in his wisdom, helps Timothy. He he stays long enough, as you remember in chapter 1 and verse 20, to, to ask Hymenaeus and Alexander to leave, to deliver them over, he says, to Satan, Paul says, so that they might be taught not, not to blaspheme, not to, not to drag down the body of Christ. And so he says, here's what we ought to do. Instead of dragging down the body of Christ, we ought to teach the family of God to, to pray for one another. And, and that's what Paul said in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, I urge you, that you entreat and pray and give petitions and thanksgivings made on behalf of everyone, whether they be kings or people in authority, it doesn't matter. So that you and I, so that we might live, he says, a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, he says in in, in verse 2 of chapter 2. He says in verses 3 through 7, look, this is good. This is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He says in verse 5, For there is one God. There is one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time And then Paul says a very interesting statement in verse 7 that threw me for a while. I actually had to stop and try to figure out what what is Paul saying in verse 7. It it actually threw me. He says, and for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I I, I know that. He said that. But then he says, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. Why would he make that statement? Why? Why would he say that, look, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying here. We understand that he is speaking under the very inspiration of the Spirit of God. He is speaking God's words. How would we and why would we even assume that he would not be telling us the truth? And Why would we uh, assume that he's not lying He says, I'm doing this as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. And so it stopped for me this week. It, it wasn't an easy 
study to get into because I wanted to figure out what was Paul saying. Was he, was he assuring Timothy and was he assuring the church that, he, that he's not lying? He's telling the truth here. But why would he have to say that? Why would we even think any differently of him? We would trust him by now. We would love him so much. And it appeared to me that that Paul wanted to reassure the church at Ephesus that, that he was as sincere as he could be about what was going on, that there is a problem within the, the family of God. He has come in to try to help solve it, and he is backing Timothy to the hilt, and he is not lying. He's telling the truth. And it dawned on me, this is what he was saying, that he wants all of us Look, verse 3, it's good. It's acceptable in the sight of God our Savior because our God desires all of us to be saved. But salvation isn't the issue. Paul wants us to be saved in the knowledge of the truth. There are those who say, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. And yet they're living a life that's contrary to what the Bible teaches Paul wanted them to come to the realization that it's, it's not just their salvation, it's their walk. they got to come to a knowledge of God's truth. And that, folks, can only be done when we study and understand the Word of God. When we really grasp what is it that God's saying to us. It's one thing to say, oh, I'm a believer. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And, and then disrupt the body of Christ than to live contrary to what you say you believe. So Paul says, no, no, look, look, I'm telling you the truth here. I'm not lying. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. And it dawned on me that that's the issue, truth, truth. God desires for you and me to be saved, yes, but God desires more deeply that you and I walk in the knowledge of God's truth. You don't need to turn there, but Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11 says, This is in accordance with the eternal purpose which God carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose that that, that God carried out in His Son was the mystery called the church. Us. This is the eternal purpose of God, that, 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 that we all come to church and grow in our saving knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, and in the truth of the Word of God. This is the reason we gather together. We are told in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, the last half, that you and I are predestined by God to become conformed into the image of His Son. And our being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ cannot be done, church. It cannot be done. It is utterly impossible without knowing God's most glorious Word. We must study it. We must grow in our faith. We must become less and less of ourselves and more and more conformed 
into the image of God. Anthony, what you and your group did right now was priceless. It was just a worship of God in its purest form, in my opinion. And, and what you said about that young girl who wrote, or I wrote in the, the email that she says she can't believe someone would love her so much that, that Jesus Christ would die for her. Therefore, she wants to love him back. Would you pray with me, please? And let's go into this with fear and trembling. Because what Paul is going to teach right now is the very basic basics of our faith. It is what ought to set you and me free to become conformed into the image of his son. It ought to allow us to be the men and the women, the young people that God has called us to be at every level. Oh, Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the music. We just had music that worshipped you and, and, and sung, Father, of your praises. Lord, would you bless your word we, we study? Would you would you move the one who speaks aside so that we might not see that person at all, at all, but rather we would see the very glories of your word and your son and we would allow his reflection to become a part of us and that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Open up our eyes, Father, our hearts and our minds so that we might accomplish that at whatever level you want us to this morning. But this message is way too deep for us to miss, Father. Paul has gotten down to the very essence of church that you desire everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth because there is but one God. There is but one mediator between you and us, Father. That's Christ Jesus who gave of himself a ransom for us. And so, Father, bless us, please. In Jesus' most precious name, bless us deeply, I pray, Father. Amen. Look, look how, look how Paul starts. He said, I want you to pray for everybody. I want you to put up entreaties. I want you to pray. I want you to have petitions and be thankful. Pray to God. Pray for the salvation of souls. And pray that people would come to the knowledge of the truth. He says, because, verse 3, look, this is good and this is acceptable. The word acceptable there in the Greek, A-P-O-D-E-K-T-O-S, means to receive gladly or to receive with great satisfaction. What we are to see, receive gladly is that there is a salvation. We are to pray for the salvation of those who who do not know the Lord, and we are to pray that not only do they come to salvation, that, that is a given, but we are also to pray that they come to a knowledge of the truth. You can do one without the other. Paul tells us, look, look at, at the end of, of 1 Timothy chapter 4, just a couple of pages to your right. Look at chapter 4 and look at verse 10. It says, it is for this that we labor and we strive. Because, he says, we have fixed our hope on the living God, note, who is the Savior of all men. 
Look, when God desires for all men to be saved, he is being consistent with who he is, both in the Old as well as the New Testament. A couple of cross verses. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, it's up here on the screen. You, you, can, uh, you can either turn to it later, because I might get through it before you turn to it, but Isaiah and Ezekiel are two Old Testament references. Listen to what Isaiah says about our God. God says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. That means everyone. That doesn't mean just the nation of Israel. He says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. It goes beyond the nation of Israel. It goes to all people. Because he says, I am God and there is no other. There is no other than God alone. He and he alone is God. And he didn't stutter. And in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, he says, Say to the people, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Rather, he says, I, I, I would that he would turn from his way and live and turn back from their evil ways. Why? Why then, he says, do you die? The implication is this. The choice is yours. God has already given us the way. And when he talks about dying, he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about that separation from him, that, that, that spiritual death. In the New Testament, Peter writes similar words in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, the Lord's not slow about his promise. Some would count slowness. But rather, he is patient towards you. He doesn't wish for any single one of us to perish, but for all of us to come to repentance. Listen, any of us here who is putting off coming to Christ, I beg of you, I beg of you, we cannot force you to come to Christ, but I think it's healthy that you would come and examine. I think it's healthy that you would want to understand what it is you want to place your faith and trust in. But you need to know that God is waiting upon you. We plead you, don't put off coming to Him any longer. Accept Jesus Christ. Accept Him as your Lord and Savior. And if you have, then, then journey with us on this, this wonderful journey of growing in your knowledge of truth so that we might be the people that God has called us to be. So to make his point, in verses 5 and 6, Paul comes to the most fundamental teaching in all of Scripture. These two verses are are amazing. They're monumental in your life and my life as believers. He says in verse 5, there is but one God. He says in verse 5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who, who gave himself as a ransom for everyone, for all. The testimony that was given at the proper time. In other words, he died exactly when it was time for him to die. You see, the statement, verses 5 and 6, round, runs counter to the pluralistic religiosity of our world today. In other words, we're living in a society that's gaining more and more popularity with each day that rejects the concept of any exclusive religious truth. You've got to be politically correct. You've got to be religiously correct today. 
And so we are taught in this society in which we live that Christians and Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and whatever, whomever, cults, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, all of them, all religions are to be charitably considered equally valid in the society in which we live. Have you not ever heard anyone say to you, who do you think you are? Who are you to say how a person is to find their peace with God? The truth of the matter is, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. It, it, look, it, go your way if you wish. It's no skin off of my nose. Except the Lord God has called me to have a passion for you. To, to, to ask you to consider that there is but one way. There, there is but one one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. There is but one God. There are not many ways. And so who am I to say that? I, I'm just a follower of Jesus Christ. That's all. But God himself says, no, no, no. There is, verse 5, only one true God. There is, verse 5, only one true mediator between God and man. And that's Jesus Christ, period. Case is closed. If that be true, true, which it is written, then Jesus has to be the one and only God in whom you and I must believe in and must be saved. Or that's an out-and-out out lie. And if that be a lie, well, look, turn with me, please. Go back to, to the left. Turn to first. Hold your place here. Look at 1 Corinthians. This is... This is an Easter message if there is one, first, if there ever was one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You see, Paul taught that either Jesus Christ is who he said he is, or we are, as Christians, of all people on the face of this earth, most to, to be pitied. Look at verse 14. If Christ has not been raised... Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and, and your faith also is vain. Verse 15, Moreover, we're then to be found to be false witnesses of God, because we witness against God that He raised Christ, whom He didn't raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. In other words, Paul is saying, look, we're calling God a liar, because God said He raised His Son. We're saying, no, you didn't. And so we're calling God a liar. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then even Christ has not been raised. And verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is worthless. We're still in our sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. And we, who have hoped in Christ in this life, we are of all men, verse 19, most to be pitied. But Paul also taught in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there is no other name that has been given under heaven by which all of us must be saved. Now, either that's true or it's not. And what I love about God so much is that He doesn't leave salvation to, to interpretation. It, it, salvation is clear to be seen. It, he makes it so clear that as Anthony said, even a child can understand 
eight young people in VBS gave their hearts to Christ. Eight young people in, in 180, junior high and high schoolers, gave their lives to Christ. And you see, only those with an agenda are the ones who make true salvation muddled or confused. And so Paul states to emphasize his message of what he's trying to say to this look. He says in verse 7, I was appointed a preacher. Also, he says, I'm an apostle. I speak for God. And I'm telling you the truth here. I'm not lying. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles by faith and in truth. We learn from, from Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 that all, all Scripture, all, all that, that all of these men and women wrote down in the Bible is inspired by God. It's profitable to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness. And so if you turn back with me, please, again to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 2. And you look with me at verse 5, we see a key word there, that our, our Savior is a mediator. The word in the Greek is M-E-S-I-T-E-S. -E it refers to someone who intervenes between two individuals to bring together peace or to ratify a covenant. Best example is in the book of Job. Job was going through the most difficult of times. None of us would want to go through what Job went through. None of us. Job lost his children, he lost his health, he lost his wealth, he lost everything. And Job lamented towards God by saying there is no mediator. He calls it an umpire in the New American Standard. There's, there's no mediator between myself and God who might lay his hands upon the both of us. And lo and behold, eventually Jesus Christ was born. Jesus Christ is the only mediator that, that must come between us and God. Again, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given amongst mankind by which we must be saved. You see, Scripture does not allow for an endless series of small g gods to whom you and I must deal with. We don't approach God through the intercession of angels. We do not approach God through the intercession of saints. We do not approach God through, through Mary or anyone else. We approach God through our mediator who is Jesus Christ and He alone, period. He is our mediator. And we are instructed in verse 5 to come to God only through the man, Christ Jesus. He is the only hope that will draw near to God, you and I. You recognize this because the absence of the article in verse 5, the. The word before man, the, is not in the Greek. It is A-N-T-H-R-O-P-O-S. In the New American Standard, in verse 5, the word the is italicized. It means it's not really there, not in the original text. It suggests that the meaning is Christ Jesus himself, man. Therefore, he becomes the perfect God-man, the 
perfect mediator who can bring God and mankind together. Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 12 describes Jesus Christ as the mediator of a better or new covenant. In other words, all men who come to God must come to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the mediator between us and God. And verse 6 tells us He gave Himself a ransom for all, a testimony given at the proper time. I I don't want you to miss verse 6 because we are told clearly that Jesus Christ freely gave Himself, His life, as a ransom for you and me when He died upon the cross for our sins. The word ransom is a rich theological term. It, It describes Christ's substitutionary death for you and for me. For everyone, for that matter. Because the simple word ransom is not so simple in the Greek. It, it is intensified. It, it, it means that Christ not only died to pay for your sins, but rather He became your replacement, my replacement. He became our substitution. When He went to the cross, He took upon Himself all of our sin. He died our death. He bore our sin. He gave Himself freely for you and for me. He is our ransom, but He is the ransom for all. That means that His death was sufficient. The the payment, the atonement that He made was good enough for all of mankind, every single person. There are not many gods. There are not many ways to, to God Almighty. It's through Christ and Him alone. So Paul is reasoning to this church in Ephesus and to us and to all people that the death of Jesus Christ becomes all-sufficient. It is sufficient for you. It is sufficient for me. It is sufficient for mankind. But he is also saying that this salvation is not quite enough. He wants you also to come to the knowledge of the truth, as it says in verse 4. So when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 15, He says, I want you to go into the world and preach the gospel to all the creation, to everybody. It's because He was sufficient. His death was good for everybody. It was enough for their salvation. So Paul adds in verse 7, look, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. I think he wanted to emphasize and to encourage Timothy, and especially us, the readers, to absolutely know that these truths are true. They're deep true. And to know and to believe these truths are essential for yours and my salvation. Christ is set forth as the Savior for you and me to embrace, but... It's not enough for you and me just to have salvation. We've got to grow in the knowledge of the truth. You know what it reminded me of? I'm sorry. I always go back to sports. My first first day in the big leagues, first day in the big leagues, I got there as early as I could possibly get there. 
put on my uniform. I was holding my glove. I was ready to go. I was going to be the opening day third baseman against the St. Louis Cardinals in, 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 in April of 1964. Dodger Stadium, opening day. One place I always dreamt to be, and there I am. And I'm walking all over the place, and I'm expending all kinds of energy. You know, I'm, I want to play. I want to play. Let's get going. And it's only like 2 o'clock. You know, the game's not till 7. And eventually, most of the players got there, and I walked into the locker. I walked into the, the training room. And, and there laying down on, a, on one of the training tables was Junior Gilliam, sound asleep. You've got to be kidding me. Before the biggest game of our lives, he's sleeping like a baby. And I said, Junior, Junior. He looked me in the eyes and he said, look, John, everything's going to be okay, you know. And then he said to me these profound words. He says, you know, a lot of guys make it to the big leagues. It's only the guys that adapt and become better that stay. I didn't stay. I just didn't have quite enough ability. Jimmy stayed. He played. But Junior looked at me and he said those profound words. A lot of guys make it to the big leagues. Only those that adapt and become better stay. A lot of people become Christians. Only those of us that really want to grow in the knowledge of the truth really become all that God wants us to become. I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. We need to grow in our faith. That's why we study as we do here. That's why we open up the Bibles and explain the Scriptures. You see, Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for you and me so that he would pay the price for our salvation. He has also given you and me the Holy Spirit so that we can learn and grow in our faith. So that we might experience the power, the true power of what salvation is really all about. It is my deepest prayer for you is that you don't put off your salvation. If you're here this morning and you've not come to Christ, we can't make you. You don't need to walk an aisle. You don't need to walk an aisle. I know that's counterproductive to a lot of people think, but the truth of the matter is you don't need to walk an aisle. You can accept Christ wherever you are. Just in the quietness of your own heart, ask Him to come in. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin. Ask Him to make you into the person that He's created you to be. And, and where you are seated, you can also make a commitment of your life to grow in the knowledge of truth so you become the, the person that God wants you to become. I want that for you more than you can know. And I want that for myself. I want that for my grandson. I want that for my family. I want that for us. And so don't put off coming to Christ. If you've put him off, I, I beg of you, come now. 
Father in heaven above, Paul has taught us through this wonderful book of Timothy that there is but one God. There is but one mediator between you and us, Father. That's Christ Jesus. And he has given himself as a payment, a ransom for us. He, he paid the price. He, his death was sufficient for us, Father. Sufficient that we would be saved. Sufficient that we would grow in a knowledge of truth. May we do both. May we not be a people content on our salvation, but, but determined to grow in the knowledge of your truth. I want to thank you for every single person here. I want to thank you for Anthony and his group, Father, that uh, led us in worship today, this morning. I want to thank you for Craig, who so wonderfully uh, gave time after time after time of, of um, his, his abilities in music as well. I pray that uh, we'll be able to continue to use both of them, Father. I pray you will bless us now as we, uh, as we praise you and worship you. Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I love you all more than I can tell you. Have a great, great, great week, and I love you, and I'll see you next uh, Sunday. Have a good time. Bye-bye.